How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. The following podcast contains explicit language. Wednesday, March 1st, 2017, from Slate, it's The Gist, I'm Mike Pesca, and now with the rebuttal to The Gist, we go to a diner in Paducah, Kentucky, to coal country Mike Pesca. Ha! I'm coal country Mike Pesca, same as regular Mike Pesca, but with a tucked-in shirt, and I'm the son of a preacher, not a teacher. Pretty dang close, if you ask me. Plus, regular Mike Pesca records in a studio alone. I like to fill up the place with my neighbors, or at least fellow diner patrons who can't get the waitress's attention because I'm doing all the talking. A little more about me, because you asked. I'm a proud Republican and Democrat and mostly American, but also 116th Cherokee, I assume, because I have exceptional cheekbones. I'm a lot of other things, too. I'm a bitch. I'm a lover. I'm a child. I'm a mother. I'm a sinner, I'm a saint, I do not feel ashamed, but most of all, I'm a patron in a diner who everyone else is staring at. They are my friends and my neighbors. Right over there, there's Connie. She is a mother, a housekeeper, a beekeeper, a saloon keeper, and a zookeeper. She kept Miguel Cabrera in her rotisserie baseball keeper league, and now she's worried that he's lost some power. I think we're all a little worried about that. Which brings me to Clean Cole. I speak of that man right over there in the overalls. His name is Cole, and he wants to come clean. He voted for you, Mr. Trump, but now he's worried. Worried like a lot of us are that you'll take away health care, which is popular here because we weren't stupid enough to call it Obamacare. We rebranded it Kentucky Connect. In fact, Connect is spelled K-Y-N-E-C-T. KYB in the abbreviation for Kentucky. Short of putting a Wildcats logo on the thing, it was can't miss. Not naming a controversial program after a guy whose approval rating never rose above 40% in these parts? Well, that's just good old-fashioned common sense. And no, not because he's a black feller. I mean, we let Tubby Smith win us a championship before we drove him out of town. My friend Pam over there helpfully planted a few for sale signs on his lawn. Say hi, Pam. What's that? Well, you find out the daily specials in a second. I'm almost done here. In summary, let's talk about the 500,000 people from right here in Kentucky who now have health care and didn't have it before. Look, they're not aliens from a distant planet. They're our friends and neighbors, like Cole and Pam and Klaatu from Remulac 4. Not an alien. It's an undocumented Remulacian. President Trump, you also need to understand 
that people may disagree with you from time to time, but that doesn't make them your enemies. There is no need for the president to question the loyalty and the credibility of our intelligence agencies, the court system, the military, the free press, all of Australia, Penn Jillette, Melissa McCarthy's portrayal of Sean Spasser, actual Sean Spasser, Meryl Streep's acting coach, Chuck Schumer's acting coach, George Bush, George Bush, George Will, Willie Geist, Juan Williams, William McKinley, Judge Robart, Judge Coryell, Judge Reinhold, Judge Wapner, rest in peace, Miss Venezuela, and by implication, Miss Piggy. Which is why I've asked all of them to sit behind me in this Kentucky diner. God bless you, God bless the bluegrass state, and God bless America. So in summation, I guess I'll just have a decaf with a little splendor on the side. On the show today, I spiel about the pre-buttle to that speech you just heard. Not since we went with the eggshell instead of the Indian summer in the living room has there been such a radical change in tone. But first, a fellow podcaster, herself an immigrant, who's been bringing us stories of immigrants. It's Maeve Higgins. She's Maeve in America. The Defender is a beautiful car, but beauty is, of course, sometimes only skin deep. Not with the Defender. Let's talk about the interior. It's robust, built with integrity. Yes, it's designed iconically, the exterior. That's what compelled me. My, my neighbor Jay says, Mike, you see what's on the block? It's a Defender. And I look down the block and indeed there is. And me and Jay the neighbor and Michelle, we gather around the Defender. We peer in the window. I have to say, I don't want to make this a too tawdry, but we lust or perhaps we gvel. To drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence we looked at the cargo capacity, more room for the gear. There's really a wide range of adventures. The Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. Push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further. The Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com Defender. It's a rainy day and I've come to see Zaza at work. He manages an upmarket luggage store just off Fifth Avenue in Midtown Manhattan. It's a super slick place. The staff wear all black clothes and he shows me around this huge showroom. When you, when you uh, walk downstairs, you'll mm-hmm. find all the travel accessories that you need. The second floor, which is the biggest in New York City, I believe, for, for luggage business. And I have Lamborghini as well. It's a $10,000 luggage. It's a bulletproof. I don't know who who would use it. I can't do a demonstration for you. (laughs) (laughs) How did he end up here? Well, we'll find out. But first, I want you to hear what it was like growing up in Syria. Maven America is a podcast about immigration and the success of which is based on three great truths. One, that a good story well told can create a human connection. Two, We're all immigrants in America, unless we're Native Americans, and even then, bearing land straight. And the third great truth is that a lot of people, I among them, would listen to a podcast where an Irishman or an Irish woman reads the Galway phone book. (laughs) Maeve Higgins, maybe she's our Irish woman. She's our American Irish woman. She is the host of Maeve in America. Hello, thanks for coming in. No, thanks for having me. That was a lovely introduction, and now I feel like I have to keep up this Irish accent the whole time. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> such a burden. <laughs> can you do an American accent? Uh, absolutely. I come from Kentucky. Oh, wow. <laughs> or like, no, how about this one? 
here in Georgia, the peaches are weighing on the treetop. I'm sure there is a person that sounds like that. Right? That's probably when they're trying to do an Irish mm-hmm. accent in their in their um, Atlanta high school version of Finnegan's <laughs> Wake or Finian's Rainbow, probably. <laughs> so was a big thing about this podcast that you wanted to get out of just talking to people with backgrounds like yours. Uh, you, you could you could do a whole podcast of the Irish in America. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of them, mm-hmm. more than in Ireland, but you wanted to to have people from Korea and you want to have people from Syria and you want to have people from all over. Yeah, totally. One of the first things was that like, technically I'm an immigrant, right? I just moved here three years ago Mm -hmm. and I still, you know, I'm on a visa. I'm not on a path to citizenship or anything like that yet. Um, So a lot of it was just like, I wanted to think about like, when I was thinking like, why me and why not them? Because like tons of my guests had a much harder time getting to America than I did, even though like I don't have a college education, I don't have like massive earning potential. All I got is this face. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I think being like white and being from the West and like that was all very worked to my advantage. So I got super curious about like, other immigrants, but who had a totally different standing than, than me. Even me saying I'm an immigrant, sometimes people are like, no, you're not. Like, you're a visitor. Like, you're an expat. But you are an immigrant. I mean, you right. can get deported. Thank you. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. Respect. <laughs> I know, but I think it, it would be disingenuous for me to say, like, I'm in the same boat right. as, like, so many other immigrants. And I think, obviously, race has a lot to do with it, you know? Yeah. And I just he, want to say I'm Caucasian. Oh, yes. She's the uh, she's <laughs> one of the Caucasian. The black Irish, but that, that kind of black Irish. Um, so in one of the podcasts, you go to the Tenement Museum and you even trace the history of Irish uh, immigration and contrast it with African-American immigration or forced immigration. The Irish came in such huge number, and they were, they were struggling so, so hard in this 19th century. But when Annie Moore arrives, you see, the Irish were in a much stronger position. You know, they had by then become very, very powerful in New York City politics. Uh, they had gained control of Tammany Hall, but the Irish were very clannish. You're not trading on the yes, uh, maybe the Irish have it easy now, but they didn't always. Even when you look back at the when they didn't always have it easy, mm-hmm. a lot of other people had it really hard at that time, too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a big part of the Irish-American story is like, look at how we made it. And like, we were treated so badly. And yeah, like we were, but at the same time, say the indentured servants that like were kept in Washington's house in Philly, like they were treated a lot better than like the black slaves that he kept there, you know. Yeah. And so there's always been different levels. So I think while a big part of me is and that that episode that I did where I traced the life of the first immigrant through Ellis Island because she left from my hometown of Cove, actually. So and like I was 17 when I left, she was 17 when she left, you know, like there was these little parallels. So that was like a really fun story. And she had a really rough time like here. She just ended up on the lorry site. She had like 11 children, six of them died. Apparently she was like too big to be lifted out. Her body was when she left. So maybe she didn't have such a bad time. Well, she became American in that regard. <laughs> she maybe. did. Oh, stop. Es- I know. She escaped the potato famine big time. She really, there was no famine <laughs> yeah, for her. Yeah. So yeah, like I think I, I can draw some parallels with other immigrant experiences and the Irish immigrant experience, but not all. Definitely. Um, why do you think, I mean, there it seems about equal that some people who come from immigrants, um, which like I said, are most people use it to say, well, my people overcame, but others, mm-hmm. uh, it's almost right down the line, will say, well, I have to have sympathy. You know, I'm from the same immigrant stock. I don't know what it is among people to make them choose the one way of thinking about current immigration versus the other. Right. There's this disconnect. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying, I'm always thinking about that and trying to figure out ways of like branching the, you know, bridging that. Because it's like, 
what's really the difference? Like, you know, the, there's the famous stories of like the boat full of Jewish refugees trying to get in and being turned away and being sent back. And then there's like the ban. So it's like you you could be sending the Syrian and Frank back to her death. Like, you know, wh- why can't you see that? Yeah. And so I do. The same people support the ban will be the first to line up for tickets at the Anne Frank House in Amsterdam. Yeah. Say, oh, so terrible. Yeah. It's so sad. And if I was alive then, it would have been different. And it's like, you're alive now. What are you doing? And I think that that also the thing of, you know, oh, well, my ancestors had to suffer through and like, you know, nobody helped the Italians when they first arrived or like nobody helped the Poles. Fine. But like things are different now. And when you know better, you do better. You yeah. know, that, that's, that's not an excuse to say, like, we're now going to reject these, you know, victims of violence worldwide. Like we're going to not allow them in. Like that's doesn't really stand up to logic. The one time I went to Ireland was a mm-hmm. few years ago, and it was probably the height of EU integration. And you could scarcely, I mean, there were Irish people, they just weren't working in customer service. It was mm-hmm. all Polish people. Lithuanians, and, yes, Latvians. Yes. So, so have, are the Irish, them, just like the Americans have failed to learn their lesson, do you think the Irish are more pro-immigrant than other people are? No. Talk I, about immigrating into Ireland? I don't think so. Um, I think that we have a pretty bad track record of taking in refugees. But it's funny because there's this tradition of like you know missionaries going abroad and and all of that I think Irish people give a lot um, but when it comes to actually taking people into Ireland which is really what people need now right there's like so many just going back to the Syrian thing because my guest this week is Syrian so I've just been doing a ton of research about it it's like there's millions of displaced people and what they need is just like somewhere to live and like a passport and a place to work like they, that's it like that's all it so kind of saying like oh we're going to send aid to the camps like okay good but at the same time like you have all this space you need people they'll help like there's all these disconnects that that are really baffling to me still um, about Ireland too and America the difference between season one pre-Trump and what you're working on now are immigrants who don't have an assured status less willing to share that with you well you know it's interesting we're doing this live show on this week and uh one of our guests is undocumented. Now, he's he's actually out and he's somewhat of an activist, but he's flying to us from L.A. to New mm-hmm. York to do this show. There was like that, you know, just a couple of days ago, they were checking papers at JFK, not letting people off the flight until you showed your ID, which has your immigration status on it often. I don't know. He's like very brave. And like I said, he's an activist and he's out. But um, at the same time, I do worry about him and... Definitely some of our guests, even in the previous uh, shows, like Nayef, mm-hmm. our uh, Iraqi guest, the reason that he's here is because he worked for the U.S. So he's, he, he was wasn't, a translator. He was a translator for, so the, he, army. for the army during the war. So he wasn't um, going to tell us like where he was from or his family's names. And we've had an undocumented guest before who's on the show and he's on his way to getting documented now. He's still waiting. But yeah, so I think it hasn't directly impacted us yet. And I think that the bravery of the many people in the undocumented community is kind of extraordinary. Like, it's really civil rights that they're fighting for. And they're really putting themselves out there, you know? Yeah. And I would worry, I mean, if I were them, not just on the documentation status, but they were essentially told you might not be done for years. And the, and the deal that America had with them was we have kind of a dysfunctional system to get you legal, but you have been contributing to the economy. So the deal is if you don't go out and break a law, we're not going to deport you. Mm-hmm. And that is the deal has changed. Now the deal mm-hmm. is 
if you happen to be caught up in one of our sweeps for a person who did break the law, we have no sympathy. And we will also define breaking a law as things that aren't really breaking the law, but just like lying ever in the past about your status. Yeah. Or I think it's even like being accused of something. Yes. They, enough well, now. that was in that was in the official, you know, if they are uh, convicted or accused of a mm-hmm, crime mm-hmm. and then people were saying, does that mean by their neighbor or charged and indicted? Like, what does that actually mean? But right now they clearly are rounding up and putting in detention people who wouldn't have been before. They're not not just the, you know, the, the cut and dried people with a criminal record. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, um, I'm trying to, f- I guess everyone is trying to figure out, like, is this just like a shock tactic now and just to do this now and get get people really afraid and people are afraid if right. that's the case, and then, it's working. And then the self-deportation thing will kick in, which is a strategy that people who want more deportation have uh, leaned on. Yeah, and I think as well, there's not the funds, right? You know how how the Trump administration is talking about hiring all these new... Yeah, 10,000 uh, 10, new agents. Yeah, yeah, and like that will take a really long time. And that's so I'm like, what else are they plotting? Like, what is what are they really trying to do? Because that's going to take a while. Right. So here's what I wonder. With the, uh, the immigration from the seven majority Muslim country order that was poorly written, people were mm-hmm. uh, up in arms, but the courts were able to look at that and said, you've, you've transgressed the law. Mm-hmm. Not the case with these new orders. And I think it might all hinge on public reaction, how much the stories, the sympathetic stories of the immigrants who you wanted to stay in the community and are being exported, how much those sympathetic stories really get to people, affect people, affect people who aren't already in the Trump resistance? Well, what do you think? Do you think they could really have an effect with some hard-hearted Trump supporter or even independent? There was that story of the Mexican man deported and his community kind of like were all in shock and they were like, a lot of them were Trump voters and they were kind of like, wait, we didn't think that he would be sent home, you know. And the one it, of the good one argu- argument. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And like, I don't know how much like public outcry can help in this. But like you said, it's really the president has an awful lot of autonomy over who to deport, actually. So I think that's one hope. Definitely that people really go hard on him. Yeah. I, I heard this phrase that a immigration expert said, and it's crimigration. Which have mm-hmm. you heard this? Which is the confluence or the mm-hmm. coming together to kind of define all immigrants as inherently criminal mm-hmm. tactic of the Trump administration and people who favor that. Yeah, I mean he's been doing that. You know the way he came out and said Mexicans are rapists. Mexicans. That was like one of the earliest things that he said talking about a ban. And so yeah, I think that's been happening. I mean the other day I think Trump said something like it's going to be a military exercise on our borders, and then like you know uh, his spokespeople kind of tried to roll it back yeah. a bit and. Military well, he, inefficiency. He meant like precision. Yeah. But people. Just how they're going to sheet the beds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> like, the, yeah, it was it was grotesque, actually. But I think people who've been working on the border for a long time have been saying this is military. It isn't brand new. Mm-hmm. It is very militarized. I think the, the border with Mexico already is, you know, so I don't think it's new. But I do, of course, think it's like it's pretty horrifying what could be coming, you know. I wonder if the whole issue, to the extent that people will vote on it or care about it, is it going to be the dueling narratives of sympathy versus danger? Or will, I mean, can, you know, can I, actual statistics bear a role? Can the uh, yeah. documentable effects on the economy uh, sway people? I wonder. I do too. And it hasn't fully been tested. I mean, statistically, we have like a stats, uh, the statistics editor of The Guardian comes into our show every week and like talks me through Mona numbers. Chalabi. Mona Chalabi. Yeah. like Immigrant. 
she's an immigrant. She is actually, yeah. <laughs> and so we go through the numbers and I'm always like, it's so clear. Like, for example, more Mexican people have been leaving the US in the past years than have been entering. You yeah. know, things like that, that I'm like, if people could just know about this. And then it's like, maybe they do know. Like, yeah. maybe that's not the problem. I try and steer clear with my own small show, which is like to not be like the good immigrant narrative, which is like, to kind of say to people, oh, no, like, look, he deserves to be here. Like, he's a professor or like she deserves to be here. Look what a good mom she is. Like, I think that's like a kind of a troubled road to go down because I think it's more just a, I think it's a civil rights, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hey, in 1960s, he's a nice black guy. We'll give him the right to vote. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I do think how people how people make up their mind is based on these anecdotes. I mean, mm. I know the president knows that he's, he tries government by anecdote. And even though yeah. every study shows that the uh, crime rates in immigrant uh, communities is lower, lower especially in first generation, mm-hmm. and then by two or three generations later, it just catches up fine. But, you know, he trots out all these uh, family members of someone who was killed by an immigrant. It has a big effect. And I don't Mm -hmm. know, you don't want to fall into the good immigrant counter narrative. But that does seem to be the way that our stupid reptilian brains work. Yeah. And I think that like you can see, I think that the dreamers and specifically like DACA recipients have done an unbelievable job. Like they are, I've met so many of them. And like, it is kind of hard to say like, they're not an exceptional group of people. Like, they really are quite exceptional. And I think that it looks like they're going to be exempt now from anything, from any of these, like, deportation orders or, like, there's kind of, like, this little window where Trump has said really kind of uh, infantilizing things, like, they're good kids and they're, you know, whatever. But it's worked in that case, right? Like, it has kind of worked. Um, It looks like they're safe for now. So I don't know. And I mean, definitely the premise of my own show is to just tell stories, like to just like tell stories, get people to know each other. I think after the election, a big reason that a lot of Trump voters gave was like immigration. And then it was also they didn't know any immigrants. So it's kind of like maybe if we can just meet each other, you know, and I don't think that's hokey. Like, I think that actually could help. Maeve Higgins is the host of Maeve in America. They hit every week. She's covering the immigrant experience from the inside. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Maeve. Thank you. I know you listen to podcasts. I can prove it. You just heard me say that. And unless you're actually in the room with me, get out of here, Dave. Unless you're Dave. You know how to listen to podcasts. Now, I'm sure you want to spread the joy of podcasts. Or maybe you're the kind of person who only likes the bands that no one else likes. And then when they book big clubs, they're like, oh, I used to like them on their first album. We're still in the first album phase of this media. But we do have to grow it. Because remember, that band that you wanted to keep to yourself, they could break up due to lack of interest. So this is where the tripod campaign comes in. All this month, you want to find a friend, relative, a curious stranger, okay, that could be fraught, and show them how to try podcasts. Hello, are you a stranger? You are a curious stranger. Let me show you my iPhone now. Okay, just take it, you know, pump the brakes on curious stranger a little, but get this person who you think or suspect might like podcasts, and then share your story on Twitter with the hashtag tripod, okay? So you do whatever you can to get a new be into podcasting, but then afterwards you tweet about it and you do TRY pod, hashtag TRY pod. Together we could delete podcast unawareness. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. 
They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. And now the spiel. Every president's speech, if it's good, tells a story. So I was watching the president's speech last night and the reaction to it, and that all reminded me of another story. And that's a story that I would like to tell here today. There was once a woman who owned a monkey. She lived in a town, not unlike your town, a regular American town with regular houses and regular fences and regular neighbors, and she owned a regular monkey. Now, I should say it wasn't really a monkey. It was a chimp. And a chimp's not a monkey. Chimps have tails, for instance. And they're strong. They're so strong. And by nature, they're often violent and angry, especially when they reach adolescence. That was a fact about this chimp, too, who we will henceforth call a monkey. Because everyone found it easier to call the chimp a monkey. And that's what people do. In fact, the lady eventually stopped correcting people because deep down, she probably thought it was cuter to call her chimp a monkey also. I don't know, maybe monkeys or chimps, but for our purposes, monkeys would do the same thing about us if they could call us dolphins or whales or bears or some other name that wasn't accurate. But monkeys can't call us that. All they can do is be monkeys. Even if sometimes it seems they're not behaving like the monkeys we know. Uh, he, without a doubt, sounded a postpartisan tone, which I think was refreshing after, really, this was smash mouth politics for the last 18, 19, 20 months. They are still, we need to remember this, they're still monkeys. We will soon begin the construction of a great, great wall along our southern border. Now, the woman desperately wanted her monkey not to be the thing it was, wild and dangerous and ill-suited for her regular house. And sometimes when the monkey was good and funny and all snugly, she'd tell herself this was how her monkey really was. Donald Trump is getting rave reviews today for that speech on tone, delivery and content. That this calm nature was the real monkey, though here and there, the monkey would give one sign. Tonight, I am also calling on this Congress to repeal and replace Obamacare <laughs> with reforms that expand choice, increase access, lower costs, and at the same time provide better health care. Or another sign that it was still a monkey. I have ordered the Department of Homeland Security to create an office to serve American victims. The office is called Voice, Victims of Immigration Crime Engagement. We are providing a voice to those who have been ignored by our media and silenced by special interests. But still, her friends would tell her, yes, this sweet monkey should be a pet, should live in your regular house, here among us, no matter what the zoologists say. I want to say this right, but I feel like tonight, Donald Trump, became the president of the United States. That, that yes, of course, he got it uh, 35, 38 days ago, 40 days ago when he was sworn in, but so many Democrats didn't recognize him. I think tonight, whether they agree with him or didn't agree with him, he became the president of the United States and everyone's gonna have to accept that. I mean, though, if we must be honest, many of her neighbors had said this before. Coming up for us, the tale of two speeches from American carnage to American greatness. Was this a presidential pivot? And they were wrong then. But they still thought it was right to say it now. 
for messaging. That was about his team, not about himself. Remember when he came out and he gave that press conference that I'm just going to do this. And he took questions for an hour and 20 minutes. He reset it that day and then he did it again. And the funny thing is that sometimes the monkey was so good, would only fling a little poop or jump on visitors, but not try to rip their genitals off as monkeys do. But the worst thing about monkeys is that they're monkeys and they don't understand the limitations that come with being a monkey. Everything that is broken in our country can be fixed. Every problem can be solved. Sometimes, even the ladies' neighbors, the very ones who normally said, monkey, that's a bad idea, would turn around and say, you know, your monkey is a really sweet pet. Maybe we could find a way for your monkey to live among us. Now, there is a lot that he said in that speech that was counterfactual, that was not right, that I oppose and will oppose. But he did something tonight that you cannot take away from him. He became president of the United States. And this seemed, what's the word? It seemed plausible especially when heard alongside the neighbors who never seemed to be that bothered by a monkey in the first place. This actually reminded me, in a, in a way, history tells us about Lyndon Johnson and his use of an address for a joint session of Congress. He was the one who made it a primetime address because he needed, because he had come to the presidency under distress, he needed a way to put a stamp on it and say, this is mine and I'm really the president and have the pageantry. And I think Donald Trump did do that in a reset tonight, that he did sound like the president, look like the president, act like the president in a way that he did didn't do necessarily in the inaugural. But the thing about a monkey is, it can't be any less of a monkey. It can only be the kind of monkey it can be, not the kind of monkey people wished it were. And no matter how much the lady hugged the monkey and said, you're a good monkey, and no matter how much the monkey acted like a good monkey in a moment, it was still a monkey, and it eventually had to do what monkeys do, which is to fling its feces, bear its teeth, jump on people, and specifically attack their genitals, eventually ripping off people's faces. And afterwards, all the neighbors, all the neighbors said, what do you expect? It's a monkey. And after all this monkey carnage went down, and the lady was left crying, and the town was almost destroyed, and at least one guy had his face ripped off to say nothing of widespread reports of town folk missing genitals, a local paper did a story. And here's what that story said. You know what? It turned out it wasn't even a monkey. It was a chimpanzee. And that's it for today's show. Chris Berube edits the gist surrounded by Glenn and Clive from the old fishing hole. Mary Wilson edits while the entire upper Marlboro VFW is sitting behind her, quite bewildered. Steve Lichtai, executive producer of Slate Podcasts. Yeah, he's the one in front of Section 402 at an Ottawa Senator's home game. Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of the Panoply Network. You'll find him at the apex of a phalanx of the Steamfitters Union Local 207. The gist. Look, right behind us. You'll see the entire Pelham High School Model United Nations Club. They were Cameroon this year. Umpru depru dupru, and thanks for listening. It's not really about monkeys. Ah, uh, hmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.